y'all to sing it at that point yeah yeah but that ain't that ain't just your song is it no anybody in here prayers made the difference for you in your life yeah he shouldn't be the only one in here humming that song and if it hadn't made the difference yet just keep living just keep living prayer make the difference yeah folk won't be there money won't be there Health won't be there. You won't have any of the things that you've been waiting on to support you. All of that will be gone. The only thing you got is all you need, and that's prayer. Yeah, the Lord is waiting on you to invite him into your circumstance. Aren't you tired of handling it all by yourself? Prayer can make the difference. It can make the difference. Yeah, it has made the difference. So many times. Anybody in here ever cried a prayer? Didn't, didn't know what to say. You just cried. And, and somehow the situation just seemed to resolve itself. You, you couldn't write down anything that came out. It was just tears. But thank God the Holy Spirit can interpret tears. Yeah, prayer can make the difference in your life. And some of y'all been living on some prayers. Yeah, yeah, when, when, you, when, when you didn't have enough about you to pray for yourself. Somebody was on their face interceding for you, praying for you. Prayer made the difference. When you were riding around in the car drinking and doing whatever else you were doing, when you were out too late with the wrong crowd, prayer made the difference. Prayer kept you. So, so don't act like it's just his song. It's everybody's song. Prayer made the difference. It's the most powerful thing you have in your life is the ability to talk to the Lord. And, and guess what? They'll put you straight through. Yeah, ain't nobody gonna put you on hold when it comes to talking to the Lord. No business signals, none of that. Yeah, he'll listen to you. Prayer made the difference. <laughs> I love it. 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 Thank you, Red. Red, Red won't, I'm going to let him in on the secret you got, Red. Some of y'all don't know Red selfish up there. And sometimes y'all think he's playing for y'all. But he ain't. He, pray, he playing for himself up there. Yeah, I know it. I know it, yeah. Yeah, see, y'all. <laughs> yes, sir. Somebody say, huh. You better know it. You better know it. 
you better know it. Yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. <laughs> mm. You, you, Red just, Red just made a new, a new genre of music. It's yeah, it's called it's called blues gospel. Blues gospel. Yeah. Whole thing, whole what everybody gonna be jumping on the bandwagon trying to yeah, talking to you, speaking to you. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? The blues entertainer of the year for Alabama would be the one to come up with that, especially especially since he's a believer. Yeah. Whole new genre. It reminds me, Bible study starts this, this Wednesday. The Bible study is entitled, the main Bible study is entitled, Plug into the Power of Prayer. Plug into the power. Plug into the power of prayer. Wednesday night. Young folk will be kicking off this well, doing their thing. And come the first of the year, we'll have a whole new roll out on some new ideas for us in terms of how we're doing study around here. There's some new things that I believe can benefit us around here. Um, so that'll, we're researching it and putting it in place, and I think you'll love it. Nobody ever said all your Bible study, all your learning has to be in this building. Nobody ever said it has to be on a Sunday or Wednesday or any particular. You can have it during, at 12 o'clock at noon. And so let's support those kinds of activities, and I'm excited about it. So this month, we want to start talking more in depth about prayer, about prayer. Everything this month is going to be concentrating on prayer and fasting. Hopefully, hopefully, all the sermons, and I believe they all will, will give you some different aspect of prayer that can benefit you help you in your walk and your witness and teach you how to be better. At the end of the day, that's what we want, isn't it? Just to be better. We want to do, we want to do differently than we've been doing. You know, I, I know I'm not the only one in here who realizes his shortcoming. The things I've messed up on. The things that I sit back and have, honestly, the word is regret. That I even made those decisions and I'm so glad I serve a God who, as the songwriter, he looked beyond my faults. And he, he saw my needs. He blessed me beyond that I was able to ask him for. I, I didn't know what to ask God for. And he blessed me anyway. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. He let me. He let me go to a place and get more education than I could have gotten by myself. He let me while I was there. See two of our college, at least two of our college students here from the University of Alabama and from AUM here for the weekend. I'm glad they love us enough, church enough to come to church when they come home, thank God, to see them. That's important. Um, but he let me go there and I didn't just get a degree, I got a wife. Y'all don't hear me. Y'all don't hear me. Yeah, y'all don't hear me. That's a blessing. Yeah, I took, I got, I used to say all the time, I got a degree and more down there at Tuskegee. 
Yeah, and, and, and I did. I did. He led, led me off one of the beaten paths in Tuskegee down a little hollow road, Highway 29, and I ran across a farmer down there. Had some flowers growing. And he let me pluck one of them flowers. Yeah, and there she is. Right there. What you say? What you say? Yeah, I tell my brother-in-law, not this one right here, but I tell my brother-in-law, I picked a flower and he picked a weed. <laughs> All right, flower, come on. That's another one of the flowers here. I had to say it. She, I'm going to say this publicly. Don't ever tell any of my other sister-in-laws that I said this, but um, from Karen's family, that's my favorite sister right there. Uh, don't tell anybody else I say that. If you say it, I'm going to deny it. I'm going to tell you that right now. Better not be recorded. Everybody knows I love Janie. I do, and I'm glad to see Janie here, too, with her husband. Last year this time, they were getting married in Tuskegee, and they didn't think it a bad thing to come and share their anniversary in Birmingham with us, and so we thank God for them being here today. It's good to see them, Janie and Bernard. Um, uh, turning your Bible to a, a psalm that is familiar in some respect and maybe not so much in others, Psalm 51, hard psalm, depending on how you look at it, Psalm 51. Some of you know the history of this psalm. Some of you may not. There's some lessons that can be learned. <clears throat> Everybody, if David didn't write all the psalms. He wrote a lot of them. This is a psalm of David. All right, this is one of the psalms, songs he wrote about his experiences. This psalm is, the history of it is found in 2 Samuel in chapters 11 through 12 the history of it, the, under, the, the background on it. You've heard it before. This month I want to concentrate on psalms and the prayers found in psalms to help us. So praying through the psalms over the next two or three weeks, three or four weeks. Prayers in the psalms. And this is some kind of prayer okay. right here. This is, this is some kind of prayer. It is known as a lament, a lament. All right, there, there are five kinds of psalms. Just a little, hit, just a little teaching here. The five kinds of psalms you'll find there are praise psalms, there are wisdom psalms, there are royal psalms, Thanksgiving psalms, and then this one is a lament, a lament psalm. A lament is simply, we don't use that terminology today, but let me tell you, if you're lamenting something, then it's a way of working through something that is negative, an offense against God. And that's what's happening here. He's lamenting the fact that something is happening. I felt it in the room just then when I told you that there's a turn 
when you start talking about stuff I did wrong. How many of you will listen to me when I tell you, if you want to get better, you got to admit what you did wrong? You can't just keep riding it. You have got to acknowledge it to move forward. Hardest thing in the world to say. Hardest three words to say, David, I am guilty. It's hard. The evidence might be right in front of you, but it's hard to admit that you're guilty. And yet it's also necessary in order for you to move forward to admit I've just done wrong. I'm gonna go ahead and say it right now. I know, I know you might think I'm not perfect. I know you shocked. I know it, but I'm gonna go ahead and let it out right now. I am not perfect. Once I can admit that to myself, it's okay for me to mess up some things. I am not perfect. And if you think you are somebody who never makes mistakes, never makes bad choices, even when you do your level best to do your best, your best sometimes ain't good enough. And you will mess up. You'll mess up. So this song is about a man who, can I say this? Love the Lord. This is about a man who had faith in the Lord as a teenager. How much faith did he have? Y'all know David. This is the same David who was down in the sheepfold. The same one, I preached about him last Sunday down in Bessemer. We should all have been there. The same David who when they were having a party up at the house because the priest was there. Priest came in because he was going to anoint somebody. They didn't know that. But he said, the Lord has sent me here to Jesse's house. And Jesse had all these fine boys working around his house, his son. And he paraded them in, saw one at a time, and said, the Lord has sent me here to identify one of them. And one by one, they paraded in from the eldest all the way down to the end. And guess what? David was so insignificant in the household that they forgot he was still out working in the sheepfold. They forgot him. He was back there, and, and the prophet said, don't you have another son? And they said, oh, oh, yeah. He said, well, we won't sit down till he gets here. They had to run and fetch David out of the sheepfold, and he was down there just doing what the youngest son in a big family does. That was doing all the grunt work nobody else wanted to do. Nobody wanted to take care of the sheep. The sheep smelled. The sheep were noisy. Critters tried to get the sheep out in the woods like bears and wolves and everything. So who wants to be out there with the sheep, Pam? But guess what you learn when you're out there taking care of the sheep? you learn that you don't have the power to take care of the sheep. And that's how David came to write the psalm you know the best, Psalm 23, that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm supposed to be the one watching the sheep, but it's really the Lord watching me watch the sheep. 
because when the bear tried to come get the sheep, the Lord gave me strength to prevail over the bear. I couldn't do it in my own right. Guess what? This is the David who was overlooked. But they brought him, brought him in, and as soon as they brought him in, the prophet rose and anointed him king of Israel, but he couldn't take the office for a long time. This David, this David who had faith enough to understand early on that he had been anointed as king of Israel, but couldn't take the seat. The same David who went out on the battlefield and had faith enough to know that being a coward in the face of, uh, of uh, 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 the, the big men from the Philistines, was not the way to do it. This same David had enough faith to go out on a battlefield with a few small stones and a slingshot. The same David slung that slingshot and killed Goliath and had one waiting on Goliath's brother. Y'all didn't know there was another one out there, did you? But he knew it. The same David who had faith enough from a child to trust in the Lord who had been proven time and time again that the Lord will take care of you. This same David messed up. He messed up. See, sometimes you can want something so bad. You can work for it so hard. You can put everything in it, and suddenly you get all you ever wanted there, everything you ever wanted, and guess what happens? It blows your mind. Literally, I got everything I want. And I start looking around and forgetting how I got there. I start not just wanting the stuff that I need, but I want anything I put my eyesight on, and that's what happened in this, in, in this instance. This same day that once he became the king of Israel, had so much Anthony, he couldn't appreciate nothing. He had a wife at the house. He had all the food and finery you could ever have, and yet he went up on the roof one night. Should have been in battle. Should have been in battle with his friends. He went somewhere he wasn't supposed to, and he saw something. And oh my. Yeah, oh my. You ever heard somebody say, and she blew my mind when I saw Because that's what happened. He went up there and must have seen the finest woman he had ever laid his, his eyes on. Let me tell you why. The Bible says that, well, the Bible doesn't say this, but folks say that a woman either draw you from the Lord or send you to him. All right, draw you from him or send you to him. In this instance, she drew him away. Not intentionally. She didn't design to pull him away. But he went up there and forgot all that had transpired and decided that of all the things in the world he had to have, he had to have her. One problem, she was married. She was already married. And her husband worked for David. Yeah. That's a problem. Let me see if I can read it. But hold on. He worked for David. David connived. I'm going to make it short. He used his position. This would be an HR nightmare, brother. He used his position of authority to have her brought to him. He used his position of authority to have his way with her on this Sunday morning. There was a result of that. And when he found out about it, he used his position of authority to have her husband brought to him to try to cover it up. But guess what? Her husband, Uriah was his name, 
Uriah had more ethics than his boss. And because he had more ethics than his boss, he couldn't see himself being away from battle while his friends were still there. So even though David was trying to cover up his wrong deed, Uriah said, I can't go in there with my wife while my friends are still in battle. More ethics than his boss. Created another problem for David. So David called his captain of the soldiers and said, take Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and put him in the front of the battle. Use this unlawful influence, put him in the middle of the battle, and guess what? He was killed. He murdered him. Just as surely as he was in battle himself, ran the sword through him, he murdered him because he put him in a place that he was surely going to die. That's what's happened to make this psalm come true. That's why David is writing this psalm. Because the, the priest came to him and told him, I know what you did. He called him out. Called him out. Guess what? His problems were many. But I came to tell you this morning that sin is sin. You need to hear me because you're sitting there looking down your sanctified nose at David at what he's done as if murder, adultery, and all of that is worse than your sin. Can I tell you, in God's eyesight, sin is sin. We the only one that come up with a top ten on sin. God ain't got no top ten on sin. God don't watch David Letterman, and it don't work like that. There are no top ten sins. Sin is sin. And he was wrong. But let me tell you what happens when you're a child of God and you find yourself jacked up because of the decision you make. That's when you start writing stuff like this, have mercy on me, O oh Lord, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin, look at this, is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right, look at this, in your verdict and I am justified when you judge. Surely, he gets deep on it. He says, surely I was sinful at birth Sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. I love this. He said, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Look at this, verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. 
restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's what I came, everybody say restore. That's what I came to talk about. I just want, Lord, please restore. Restore means I was at a place, I moved from that place, I need you to put me back in the place that I was when I first knew you there at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. Restore me, Lord. Put me right back where I was. His problem was sin, but sin is sin, and no bigger than yours. You better know that. Look, write this down. I need somebody who can tell me the truth. Write it down. I need someone who can come in and tell me the hard stuff about my life. And whether I cry and push it back and can't swallow it, I, I might not even be able to breathe when they come in and talk to me, but I need somebody in my life like that. Don't see me about to mess up and let me keep going and don't say anything. If you love me, say something to me. Tell me you jacked up, boy. You're wrong, and you know you're wrong if you don't have somebody in your life who can read you like that. You need to pray that the Lord will give you somebody. Because I can tell you, the hardest place in, the, in, in life is to walk through it thinking you know it all. Oh, that's a hard place to be. That's a hard place to be. And, and, and let me tell you this now. Let me tell you this. I, I just got to be honest with you. It's hard letting somebody get to you like that. Because you can't take it from everybody. <laughs> no, no, because first thing you're going to start doing, when they start telling you what's jacked up, you looking at them. You're like, hold on now. Who is you to be telling me, can I tell you this right now? You can get the truth from somebody who's been wrong. You don't have to get the truth from a perfect vehicle. They just have to be telling you your truth. I hope you hear me now. Because if you just start judging by what they got on, how they look, where they come from, you might not be able to get truth from anybody. You need somebody who can tell you the truth. So look at this. David was convinced that he was being told the truth about his sin. And because he was convinced that he was being told the truth, that means he was convicted. In other words, he said, I'm guilty. Inwardly, he says, I'm guilty. I'm convicted by what's happened. And look at this. This is the most important part now. Because he was convinced and convicted, he confessed. All right? And I realize it works the other way around in a court of law. You confess, and then you're convicted. I'm not in a court of law. I'm in a court of justice. And, and God's justice says, when I'm convicted, I confess. All right? I know I did wrong. When the prophet came and convicted him of his wrongdoing, he said 
it's me. I'm wrong. He confessed. Confession. That's an honest look at my life. Honest look at my relationship with God. I'm going to say this now. Y'all going to be mad at me. Come on, y'all. I got to do it. I got to do it. Some of y'all playing with God. Let me tell you why. Because you know you jacked up in something. And you want him to keep acting like it's all right. You want him to. You want him to keep playing pity pat with salvation. He don't do that. You keep wanting him to justify the wrong you find yourself in. And you think if you keep pushing at it, it's going to finally be all right. But can I tell you that wrong is wrong. Wrong is wrong, and wrong won't ever be right. Ever be right. No matter how much you want it to be right, it won't ever be right, and God can't do anything wrong. He won't. So the only person you're fooling is yourself. Yourself. David could have kept on acting like it was all right. Even though the evidence around him was raggedy, God convicted him. God even said that because of this wrong you've done, the baby won't live. Oh, that's a grievous resolution. Yeah, because God don't play. He doesn't. He doesn't. Some, some might say, well, that's too hard. Well, you got to take that up with God. Because he's the one who determines the punishment. He's the one who determines the consequences for your life. See, that's how we are. We want to do wrong and then set our own consequences. Well, that was just too much for me to have to suffer. Well, what about Uriah? He's dead. What did he have to suffer? What did he have to go through? Strengths and weaknesses are recognized by the Lord, all right? But you also need to understand your own strengths and your weaknesses. Sin separates us from God. It always does. We might not know what it is at first, but our spirits do. Because if you have the spirit of God in you, then the spirit of God cannot dwell in an unclean, unholy place. So all you're doing is having a conversation with yourself. Because you're not having one with God about the wrong you're doing. We're the only folk I know who pretty up and play with sin. We do. We play with folk. Folk will come tell you, I know I'm going here for what I did. You ought to get back. When folks saying that, I know I've been wrong. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the Lord will forgive me for this, but I'm about to go cuss. No, the Lord doesn't play around like that. Stop fooling yourself and thinking that that's okay. It's not okay. The Lord knows you. And he knows you're better than that. But he's not going to justify that. Look at this. Confession is letting God know that you know what you did was wrong. That's what confession is. Letting God know that I know that what I did was wrong. That's an honest conversation with the Lord. That's what confession is. What good does it do to confess if I don't admit that I did anything wrong? I had this problem in court all the time. 
folk come to me and want to plead guilty. I say, okay, tell me what you did. And they don't. <laughs> it's called allocution. I said, so go ahead and tell me what you're doing. Because I can't find you guilty if you confess it, if you ain't confessed it. <laughs> and when you confess, what you say has to meet the elements of the wrong. So I'm listening for that while you're talking. All right, mm, went to a place, weren't supposed to go to. Folk told you not to come there before. You went back anyway. Yeah, I did that. Okay, that's trespassing. <laughs> okay, I'm listening for that. You don't have to say, I trespass. I know what to listen for. But when you say nothing, I also know you said nothing. I know you crying. Stop crying. <laughs> All right, because crying didn't do nothing. Tell me what you did. <laughs> I know, give her a tissue. You have to admit what you did was wrong, and failing to do that means you're not being truthful with yourself. Even though the prosecutor's standing over there with the video. All right, here the video, y'all, I got the video. I know, but he said he was going to confess. Do you know this? God's got the video. God's got the video. He already knows. He, you're not telling him something he doesn't know. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's telling him, telling, you're telling him, I know what I did was wrong. It's a change in heart that he's looking for, all right? And that leads me to this. If what you're doing when you confess is like taking the garbage out of your life and emptying the garbage, all right? The problem we have is that many of us these days will take the garbage out and go through it, identify it, and then pick it up and bring it back with us. And we keep the garbage with us as opposed to taking it out and leaving it. Yes. Repentance means I'm leaving the garbage where I took it out. Because repentance means to turn away. All right? Many of us aren't repenting of our sins. We're rehearsing our sins. We're rehearsing what we've done over and over again. That's not confession. Confession is taking the garbage out. You need a spirit of repentance. All right? You need confession. That's important. But confession is not enough. Confession without repentance doesn't get you there. This is crucial. Let me tell you why it's crucial, because I can't, make you understand what David's psalm means if you don't understand that he did more, cast than just confess. He did more than just tell the Lord, I did wrong. He also said, I did wrong, and now I'm turning away from my wrong. All right? He repented. People run to tell you, I made a 360-degree turn. I mean, they're in the same place. All right? 180 means I went 
the other way. And I know they don't, that's just being picky, but Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could wallow in the dirt and filth of our lives, not get cleaned up. Repentance is leaving it there and turning away from it. Repentance means to head in God's direction, all right? Not your own direction. You can't leave it there and go back and do the same thing. How many folk have been repentant of the same sin by six times? You keep doing it over and over again. The question is, have you truly ever repented? Have you ever let it go? If you keep having, because I believe this, that if you give something to God and say, Lord, I want you to take this from me, I believe God is powerful enough that if it's your will for him to take it away, it'll be taken away. But you got to be honest with yourself. Some of us just fooling ourselves and saying, Lord, I want you to take it, but I like it. That's what you're saying, but I really like it. It really makes me who I am, and, and I really like it, so I'm not really giving it to you. You ever played that game with kids where you hand them something and snatch it back real quick? That's how some of us are doing with sin. And it's a game we're playing. You want to take the sin that you have and dump it at the foot of the cross and leave it there. That's what the song said, right? Leave it there. Leave it there. Look, cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop was a plant that's very pungent. It's almost like a spearmint or something like that. It'll open up all your passages. And so they used to use it in some of the altar sacrifices. And, and, and people still can use it today. Some of those herbalists use it. And they say it can help you look. They say cleanse me. They say the herbalists use it for problems you might have, intestinal problems. In, in other words, it'll clean you out. It'll clean you out. All right, intestinal problems and colic and loss of appetite. That's what this hyssop would do. So when he writes this and he said, cleanse me, push it all out of me. Get all the junk out of me, Lord. And I know if you cleanse me, I'll be whiter than snow. And the reason I know that he turned away from it is because then he turns around and celebrates what the Lord has done. And people can tell when you change. How many of y'all can tell when somebody's been changed? When they don't do like they used to do. Yeah, I don't walk like I used to walk. Why? Because he made the difference. You can tell when something has changed. The songwriter says, somebody got a hold of me. When the garbage is gone and you got a new heart, when you experience God's forgiveness, then according to verses 12 through 19 of this psalm, that's when you start, that's when you can start celebrating. So look at this, all right, because I, I want to tell you this and I'm out of here. This psalm is not about David's confession. It's not. You've been wrong if you've been looking at it that way. It's not about that. Okay. It's not. I know it reads such that it is, but it's not about David's confession. What this psalm is about is about God's forgiveness. And you need to start reading it to know that this is about how God forgives us. Yeah, David was riding. How many commandments did he break? 
The psalm, though, is not about a man who was broken and who confessed. It's about a God who forgave. The psalm is not about human nature, but it's about God's nature. All right? It's about his nature to forgive in every circumstance. Look at the list of stuff that David did. And if you just had to come up with a list of stuff to do, you'd be hard-pressed to go up against David and what he went through. And yet God loved him enough to forgive him of the stuff he did. And then God decided that he would be a reference for David for the rest of his life. If you looked at David's resume, whenever he applied for a job, he had God listed as the number one reference. And if you call God and ask him, God, what about David, the David who killed? somebody, the David who took somebody's uh, wife, the David who did all these rotten things. Guess what God would say? God would say, David is a man after my own heart. That's a forgiving God. That's a good God. And the same God who decided he would forgive David is the same God who will forgive you too. I wonder if you know him. I wonder if this is the same God you serve. This God will cause you celebration in your life also. Sin is a powerful, powerful reality in our lives. But the truth of this passage from this song is that the grace of God is more powerful than any sin you and I can commit. David messed up, and there's some consequences you and I have to face. But guess what? God is a loving God. Not too long ago, there was a man who lived in Kansas, and uh, he repented of some sins that he had committed. And once he, com once he repented of those sins and came to faith, he lived just about what can be as honorable a life as one can imagine. But even in his newfound faith, this same David, Hick, I mean, the same uh, Al Johnson had left something out of his life story. You see, once he confessed, and he was late in life when he confessed, he had to come in and admit that when he was a young man, he was about 50-something years old when he finally really found the Lord. He, once he did, he said, I got to get all this junk out of my life. And so he came forward one day in church and he said, church family, when I was about 18 years old, I participated in a bank robbery. Statute of limitations had already run on me. Couldn't be prosecuted at that time on that bank robbery. But because of his complete and total change of heart after he confessed, he went into his bank account and he repaid every dime that he had taken in the bank robbery. Confession plus repentance equals a change heart. Now, how do you repent once you've made confession to the Lord? Your life is the repayment, the help you give to people, the things you do for folk. That's how you show everybody that you're repenting and changed from your ways. And so I came to ask you today, have you confessed? Have you acknowledged that you know the Lord? Do you know him to be the savior that our Bible proclaims him to be? 
If today is the day you found out that he is in fact the one who lived and died for you, if you found out that he was also resurrected for you, if today is the day you decided that you want to confess your love for him, then we've come to welcome you and acknowledge who you are. I welcome you in the spirit of salvation that he created into this house. I welcome you into this church, into this church family. While the choir stands and sings this song, the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now, confessing and repenting. And I know the Lord will be as merciful for you as he was for David. Whosoever will, let them come right now.